Welcome to Mindful Talk, brief conversations about mindfulness in the workplace and at home. I am your host, Lauren Wessinger. And I'm your host, Misty Anderson. And this podcast is brought to you by The Mindful Project. The Mindful Project helps you elevate the culture of your business by bringing mindfulness practice to you and your staff through in-person and virtual learning. Contact us through our website, themindfulproject.co, for more information. Hey, listeners, welcome back to Mindful Talk. Misty and I are here today to talk about mindfulness for first responders, a very relevant, much-needed conversation that we're looking forward to. Hi, Misty. Hi, Lauren. I'm really excited. I know that you have some extensive work with the police department there in Texas. And um, I think we can all probably think about a few people in our lives that this might help. So I'm excited to talk about it too. Can you, this is for my purposes too, but for everybody else, can you define what you consider to be a first responder? Yeah. So I consider a first responder, anybody who is first on the scene to a really challenging situation. So like fire, EMT, law enforcement, and then we could also include frontline workers in that. Um, Of course, military is in first responder, depending on the situation. I know military is like saying sports, like it's so huge, but (laughs) (laughs) that's such a good way to say it. Right. Yeah. Um, And we can also include frontline worker, like anybody in healthcare, Um, you know, sometimes interventionists at public schools, counselors that get to deal with really challenging things, especially in middle school and high school, everything from um, drugs to suicide, everything in between teen pregnancy. So those people see a lot as well. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. I think about like, remember when the pandemic first happened and all of those people that worked at the grocery store were still having to go work at the grocery store. Like no one prepared them for that. No one prepared them for what they were going to experience. And I think about those people today and it just, I hope that if you're listening and you have some, if you're not a first responder, you can share this with someone because having just the smallest of tools in your toolbox can help you out of a really sticky situation. So I think we're going to really focus on the tools. Definitely. And, you know, sometimes when I do this work, I even include anyone in public service. Um, Because if you think about it, that's people in the courts, that's um, certain lawyers, that's anybody that deals with the public on a daily basis. And we know how challenging that can be. Um, Anybody at the DMV. I mean, I shared a DMV story of my own on our last episode or a few episodes ago where I got mad at some lady and it was really me. Like it was me getting mad at her when everybody's getting mad at her all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the conversation can be really broad, but yeah, today's all about tools and techniques and why it matters. You know, I am the library director here in a little town in Colorado, and um, I had a gentleman come in a few weeks ago that was um, really considering ending his life. Oh. And um, in that moment, there's, and he was a veteran. So of course, like, I'm like, huh, it's then your heart and your empathy. And 
that's the thing about being someone who's in public service or around people supports the public. Like you don't know what you're going to be challenged with. Um, the very, I remember as soon as it happened and he asked if I knew where we could reach a preacher or a priest, it like sent off alarm bells. And the first thing I did was I took a deep breath. (laughs) I remember like in my head saying, take a deep breath, Misty, because I was just so overwhelmed in the moment. And that's just, you know, everything ended up fine. We took care of the situation. We got him help. He's doing well. Um, But I don't see it every single day, day in and day out. And that one little episode, like totally rocked my world. And so I, I can't imagine how important your tools are when you see that day after day, after day, after day, after day, and hour after hour, after hour, you know, and some of these big cities where there's just, it's just bombarded on them. Um, So I hope that if anything, the breath work involved in this um, and in slowing down your central nervous system is something that if you just continue to tell yourself to breathe, to breathe, to breathe, you get in those situations, you do breathe. That's really powerful. (laughs) That's a really powerful story. And you in that situation, you were like the first responder, right? And some of the advice that we might give is to make sure you keep looking up and out at like the sky or the trees, because your eyes are so tied into your brain. And there's actually 12 extraocular muscles that tie directly into your vagus nerve. And we know that the vagus nerve is what triggers the relaxation response and releases stress. And so after a situation like that, once it's passed, if you can just for a few minutes, spend some time breathing and um, looking at nature, it has an immediate effect on the stress response in your body, believe it or not. You know, it's funny is when it happened and I knew I needed to call for help, I went outside. Good. Um, and, and I don't, in that moment, I'm not really sure why, but I feel like I needed that vastness of the sun shining down on me. And um, it helped me to kind of bring my brain down and be able to explain the situation to someone. Yeah, that's really good. It's, it's like, we know on some level, even if it's not on our conscious thinking level, we know somehow that getting outside, getting space, fresh air, um, a perspective of looking around at something vast, like the mountains or the sky, Um, We know that on some level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. Um, So the other thing that I would say is number one in working with first responders or anybody on the front lines or even in public service is that we have to get them grounded before we do mindfulness practices. So if we're asking somebody who's probably living with a lot of chronic stress and trauma in their body to just close their eyes and become still, that has the potential to immediately trigger them into more stress because there's so much activation in their body already. Mm -hmm. And that just magnifies it when they become still quiet and close their eyes. And so a lot of it is is what you did actually, um, going outside, looking around, taking some deep breaths, changing perspective. And then a lot of it is noticing physical things in the body, like weight, you know, where do I feel the weight of my hands on my legs? Where do I feel the weight of my seat? Can I feel my feet on the ground? So all these things that, that ground, that sense of 
overwhelm or activation in the body you want to do first. And then when somebody's feeling like, oh yeah, okay, I could close my eyes and do mindfulness of breath or something, you can go into those practices. But even if you never do anything with this population ever, but ground, you would be doing a lot. I think that's very powerful. I um, When you and I first started working together and I was working with a lot of people in like corporate America that had really day-to-day jobs that had never practiced mindfulness. That was always my first tactic was to just feel, you know, cause we're all so busy and out of our bodies and getting settled. And I used to have a lot of them tell me like learning how to get grounded. Cause it seems like such a hokey thing to say out loud, but learning to get grounded really does support you in so many ways. Um, and learning to ground even further, like going outside routinely and taking off your shoes and like feeling the grass under your feet, um, is such a powerful practice. And I agree with you. I, I think that was one of the sticking things for their mindfulness practice is learning how to get grounded because you do feel like, especially if you're an anxious person or you have a lot going on in your mind, the thought of like sitting still is like, oh, well, I can't do that. That's just going to make me crazy. But if you can kind of, you know, get your wiggles out, get centered, feel your feet below you, feel your hands on your thighs, relax your shoulders, then you're kind of like, okay, I'm like here, I'm in my body. I feel the chair. Now maybe I could close my eyes, you know? Totally. Yeah. And the grounding is like taking responsibility for our overall mental health. You know what I mean? Because I too have heard that so often, like I'm, I am just so busy in my mind. I can't meditate. La la la. Totally get that. I mean, that's a very normal statement actually. Um, But we have to, on some level, take responsibility for that and try the tools. You know, if we're interested in healing from chronic stress and trauma, we we have to have an investment. Like we have to participate in our own healing, you know, and just giving up like, oh, my mind is too busy. I can't do that is is a cop out sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's funny is people are very willing to say like, I'm overweight. I'm going to take control of it. I'm going to show up at the gym and I'm going to do these things, but, but I'm too busy in my mind. I can't meditate and I can't practice that because I can't do that. Well, one would say that you're overweight and you can't do this and you can't do this, but you're going to attempt it. Do you know what I mean? And so I think it's getting that mindset of, yes, I had like, just what you said, I have to take responsibility for it. Um, I can't continue to let like, I think about a good friend of mine who saw a lot during COVID as a nurse and it really rocked her um, and honestly changed her. And I think a lot of it had to deal with not dealing with everything as it was happening and just letting all of that live in there. And so she wasn't getting grounded. She wasn't doing these practices and it was just compounding and sticking and compounding and sticking and it changes you. It does change you. It absolutely changes the neurology of your brain. Um, And that is one of the main focuses when I work with this population is, you know, there's three paths to PTSD or chronic stress. One is adverse childhood experiences. We know so much of who we are is wired in our childhood. The second one is shock trauma. 
Um, many things are under that category, but, but big shock traumas. And then the third thing is exactly what you said about your friend daily untreated chronic stress leads to PTSD over time when not addressed, believe it or not, leads to the same symptoms. And so what we're trying to do with this practice is not tell these people who are already overworked, overwhelmed, underpaid, Hey, you have to do this for an hour every day to make it work. Like that will never fly. And so it's giving them just enough education to get them committed and anchored into it. Like tell them why they should care and then giving them tools and practices that they can do in like three seconds, but many times a day, maybe some tools are five minutes if they have more time, but there's the delivery has to be such that what, what can I connect to about this material? Tell me why it matters to my life. And then how do I add it into what I'm already doing? So it's not one more thing I have to add to this crazy overwhelmed life. So those little practices you're talking about, what would you say your top couple are that you recommend to people? So the main one is what's called contact points, which is noticing when you're sitting or standing, what your body's touching, because that sense of support is what you're looking for. Like the support of the chair, the support of my feet on the ground is giving your nervous system the message of support. And it starts to, we'll say like turn the volume down a little bit inside because the survival brain will not discharge stress unless it feels safe. And if you're living in a place of fight or flight all the time, your survival brain is not releasing stress ever. It will not. And it cannot physiologically, it cannot. And so anytime you can ground and get into a place, it's almost like a refuge for the survival brain. Um, it'll start to unwind stress. And so it's contact points of your body and the chair or feet on the ground is a really easy one. And then what we talked about earlier, the survival brain will feel safe. If you're looking around at vastness, because there's no threat there in the vastness of that moment, unless you have a memory tied to like, for you, you're in the mountains, a skiing accident, maybe looking at the mountain, you know, so you have to make sure it's a neutral thing that you're looking at in that sense of vastness. Um, Because the eyes are tied right in to the vagus nerve, when your eyes are looking at something that has no meaning, there's a sense of safety you're establishing in your survival brain, because there's no memory, there's no meaning, there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, and you can do that in like 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say. So let's say you're an EMS worker, you go on a call, you go through the things, you take care of the patient, you get the patient to the hospital before you get back in the car or when you get in the car, sit in your seat, feel your seat, feel your feet against the bottom of the car. Yes. Like look around outside like that. You're right. That can take no time. And you can do that repetitively. If I were to guess based on the brain work that you and I know, if you were to go on a call like that and do that every single time, isn't that just releasing that stress that would have otherwise compiled and built up? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to, as often as possible, give yourself a chance to get out of that event Yeah, and, and let it move through your body. And there's some deeper techniques that, that, are something that would be teacher led that we do also, you know? Um, But those are like the quick and easy ways. So like you're saying for um, an EMT or EMS person, they could maybe walk 20 feet away from the hospital or walk 10 feet away from the ambulance and just 
let the sun be on their face. If it's a sunny day, look up a little bit, um, feel their feet on the ground and take 10 breaths. And that is a completely different situation as they get back and drive away than just beelining from the hospital into the ambulance and leaving from there. They have had zero recovery in that place. And it's all about recovery, right? And see, taking responsibility for it. I mean, that person, that worker has to make the conscious decision to say, "Um, excuse me, I'm going to step away for two minutes and take care of myself, you know? Totally. Because in today's world, I don't think there's a supervisor or fellow employee out there that would not be like, oh, dude, great job. How to teach me how to do that. Yes. Yeah. It's because the easy thing would be to not do it. You yeah. know, you're stuck in this sense of speed. You're you're sort of trapped in that buzz. Like the easy thing would be to be like, I'm not going to do this. And sometimes I get it. Like if there's another emergency, I really get that you can't. But when you can, um, it takes a tiny bit of effort. And I also think it's changing the culture a little bit where your partner, maybe you make a pact that you make each other do that. I mean, yeah. accountability partners are huge, but you know, it's, it's getting the techniques into the people's hands and then creating the sense of, of care with each other where you're like, Hey, go ground for a minute. I'll be here. We'll leave when you're done. You know, the good news I feel like is that for so long, um, this was ignored and wasn't talked about. And now, especially through the pandemic it is. And so more people are taking responsibility for it because I mean, chronic stress, (laughs) Google it. It's got lots of physical, physical things that can hurt your body. Um, I know people, two people in particular that were very healthy, quote unquote, individuals that had heart attacks and it was all stress related. They just worked too darn much and they never took time to like regulate their central nervous system. And so I feel like in those types of situations where stress is thrown at you all the time, just taking that little bit of responsibility and the little time that you need for yourself could do a whole lot of good. And what you said can have a trickle effect. You can teach others Mm -hmm. how to do it within your own group, which is huge too. Yeah. Like it feels normal now to tell someone to breathe or take a couple deep breaths, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, how do we get grounding normal? How do we get a one minute break normalized? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Through this work, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Through this work. Exactly. And, and so that people know how stress affects the body just super quickly. Like when you're triggered into the stress response and you don't finish that response, you know, so you don't use those hormones and that power physically. Um, when you're triggered into the stress response, your immune system spikes stronger, like 70% because, you know, old school caveman days, it thinks you're going to get scratched by an animal or bitten. And you have to have all this immunity to recover from that. But then after about 30 or 40 minutes, I think your immunity drops so low, like lower than it is on a normal day. And so what happens is over time, if you're consistently in the stress response, your immune system suffers. Um, And when your immune system suffers, inflammation starts to rise and your body can't fight off things and stabilize things like inflamed heart and cancers and all the things. And so when the AMA says that 85% of adult illness in the States is rooted in chronic stress, that's why immune system drops. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, it's, can you imagine if we had a different kind of culture here, um, how much less death there would be, you know, I, 
I push against it all the time. You know, as the library director, I love my job, but I am at a point in my life where I have hard and fast boundaries. This is not a, that kind of love. I love my family and myself more. Yeah. And I have to say like, you know, I'm taking a break or I'm taking these days off. And I used to be really hard for me. Now I just schedule them and keep them and make sure that I have time in there to downtime and regulation time. My days off now are like cherished and I protect them. And you should too, if you're listening, because everybody wants to take them and don't get me wrong. I love fun as much as the next person. In fact, I like fun a lot. Um, (laughs) But I know on the regular, keeping my body in a consistent and rhythm and being on high maintenance alert on my days off, meaning how I take care of myself, what I eat, how I exercise, how I rest all makes a huge difference on the way I show up for my job on the back end. Yes. Yeah. It matters. It matters. Well, I really enjoyed this talk. I, we have a lot of search and rescue in our area and they deal with so much of that response like that. And then the back end, like what we were talking about, and I'm excited to know more and share more with those people because I think everyone will agree. They probably know somebody that they can share this with that it'll help. And that's our goal. So thanks, Lauren. I really appreciated learning from you today. And I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to Mindful Talk. We don't take it lightly that you spent your time listening to our podcast and we are forever grateful. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. Welcome to a more mindful way of living and working.